This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. I'm hanging out tonight with Chase Kokojan and Baxter Bird. Thank you guys for taking time to have a conversation this evening. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Baxter hasn't been on the podcast before, but I think of him as somewhat of a, something of a, how would you say? Instigator. Hunt, hunt quietly, a co-hunt quietly architect. Hmm. You, were, you were instrumental in conceptualizing where, I went with my advocacy. And yeah, I think it was it was just something I, you know, a lot of the, the guests have sort of echoed the same thing where you have these thoughts kind of offline and when you hear it echoed out in the bigger chamber out there, you, you want to give your support to that voice because um, I think it's an important voice that needs to be heard at the moment. Um, in the last 10 years or so, of hunting have changed it's changed a great deal and uh we don't seem to be a lot of doing a lot of introspection about what we're doing and why we're doing it and i thought it was pretty important as a matter of fact so thank you and and chase you first reached out to me via email and you have an interesting background you have worked as a hunting guide, you still do a little work as a fishing guide, right? Uh, I fish not as much. I mean, I still not officially, but okay. I do, I do take people fishing. That okay. makes sense. And you, yeah. And you flirted with the hunting entertainment world a little bit. Yeah. For a while I did. And you, or must be a pretty good shot because you've competed in some tournaments and done quite well. And you have some perspective about how tournament shooting in, interfaces with the hunting industry and hunting promotion. Directly, yeah. directly. All right. So before we go any, any further, I'm going to try something a little new tonight, just to try to let, I don't know. This is my attempted to let anybody listening get a peek into your guys's soul a little bit. I've never heard of this being done on a podcast, but I'm going to try it. Um, today you've gone about your lives doing whatever it was you do. I'm assuming it was a fairly routine day for both of you. Is that fair? Yeah, straight ahead. Yeah, busy. As so, as you went through your day, like every human being, you had hopes, fears, anxiety, joy, anger. I'm sure there's other adjectives, but those are the ones that come to mind. So, tell me, tell me, you don't have to touch on all of them but tell me about the ones that were most pervasive today 
and what were they about? In regards to hunting or just? No, just, no, it doesn't have to be in regards to hunting. Uh, I'll, I'll go first because uh, my kids start school tomorrow. So every, every parent's worried about their kid and how my kid's going to do at school and, you know, hope she has a successful school year. So I guess it'd have to be families on my mind today uh, just because of what we're getting ready to go into. Mm-hmm. So, how old is she? 16. Mm-hmm. Pretty busy, you know, volleyball player. Um, she's on a travel team as well as the, the school team. So it's a lot of uh, commitment coming up too because uh, once that ball starts rolling, it just kind of goes until like March. And so oh. uh, it's just sort of the anticipation of that. Um, yeah. Parent stuff really, I think was the big thing today. Um, she's a sophomore. She'll be a junior. Oh, a junior. Okay. Yeah, junior. Yeah. I have this theory that for the most part, the, the most unpleasant years of school pre-college are seventh through ninth grade it seems like peak peak brutality is from your peers are those three grades and then things get a little easier after that what what do you guys think about that maybe so i think for her at least being a pretty decent volleyball players help smooth those roads a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just it, it carries with her a little bit of clout. And I think that actually does help um, yeah. kind of. That. Yeah. I'd say that the people that I'm sure your daughter's not this way, but the people that made life hell for me from seventh through ninth grade were the athletes. <laughs> She's definitely not uh, the bully for sure. Okay. No worries. All right, Chase, you? Uh, I had a pretty laid-back day. I sat on a tractor all day. I was mowing. Um, the wildlife management area that you work at? Yes. I'm mowing dove fields right now. Okay. So. And, and you're in Oklahoma, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And Baxter, Baxter is you're in, you're in Idaho. That's correct. Yeah. Well, a lot. You had to have a lot of time to think. A lot of time to think. A lot of it was about this podcast. I sitting on a tractor. I listened to a lot of podcasts, um, good and bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, didn't have anything fly apart. So that was the best part of the day. So. So. In terms of fear and anxiety, joy, anger, and hope, where were you? I was pretty mild on everything, and that's a pretty abnormal day for me. Mm. But um, didn't get real fired up about anything or real happy about anything. So, Well, it's good. You, you had an even keel day. I was a real even kill day, and that's not normal in yeah. my line of work. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what it would feel like to have an even keel day. I'm a very high strung person. Uh, all right, I'll give. I'm going to take a shot at it. So, 
I have a llama that has a hole in the side of his face. He's had it for nine months and I just had it operated on. And I, every day I have to go clean it out and repack <laughs> the hole. And that's, I guess that's a, a, a source of anxiety for me these days is trying to get him healthy. Um, is it like, uh, what, do they, what do they call it? Did you rub his head on the, on the fence or something, or is it a injury from fighting or how did, how did that happen? Turns out it took a long time to figure out what was going on. But when, when llamas are about three to four years old, their molars erupt okay. and, and they can uh, get an infection then. And it manifests as a large pus filled sack on the outside of their jaw. Hmm. And a vet lanced it last September. And then the hole never closed. I see. And then finally, after many months, we figured out it was tooth related. So we went in there and cleaned it all out and scraped the tooth. And now I'm just having to try to keep it clean and disinfected and, and hoping that when it, this all plays out, he doesn't still have that hole in the side of his face that's draining this stuff. Because eventually what can happen is that the infection weakens the jaw. Mm. so Kind of rots it away or something. Yeah. Then I guess another thing that's going on, well, I'm about ready to go hunting for a long time. And so this time of year, I always have a lot of anxiety about, I have a pretty demanding job that I care about quite a bit. And so trying to get everything, all everything in place to take off for a while. And then this year it's even worse because I started this podcast. You guys wouldn't believe how long time consuming this is. I imagine a lot of time. It, it, it really does. And, and then, and sometimes I think, why the heck would you sign up for something like this? It's taken so much time. I guess part of the answer is I didn't realize. Is this the part in the podcast where I apologize for? No, you don't. Need to do that. No, you don't do because at the end of the day, I think my sanity depended on. Yeah. Trying to say what I'm worried about. Yeah, like running out that hit, you know, and seeing, seeing where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been. I've been the last couple of weeks. I've been commenting on dead and dying animal posts online and that's fairly new for me. Oh, you've been, you've been online commenting, not just commenting on the podcast you've been doing. No, no. I've been going on Instagram. Going online. Oh, wow. And I guess it's another sort every, I'm just really focused on the anxiety one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's what all i felt today was just anxiety well you're you're searching out dead and dying animal pics i would think you'd yeah you'd do that after a while but i wasn't prepared for how upset pe- these folks would get i i guess yeah. the model i was running in my head was that individuals put with the whole social media thing which i, I mean, i'm not really I don't really understand uh, what's rude or what's acceptable in that space. I'm not, I'm kind of new to it, but I just would have assumed the way I look at it is there's people 
making pictures available to the world. And then underneath the picture, there's a box that invites people to give their impression on the picture, the comment box. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to me that you, if you're somebody that's doing that, you should expect in a wide array of perspectives to be aired. Well, is it really a wide array though, or is it fall into generally criticism or, you know, approval? In my, in my really cursory look into this, it, it's, it's, 99% adoration. Mm. And, really? and it turns out that if it's something other than that, at least in my case, it, people get pretty alarmed. Are you, are you posting as yourself? Yeah. Like people know who's posting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you're doing that though, like, give me what's an example of a, a surprising response to. Sorry, this jet going over really low. Um, what's a what's a response that you got that was surprising? I mean, so I got most of the time they just respond in the comments, but today, mm-hmm. uh, a guy or a couple days ago, one guy instant messaged me, mm-hmm. and he and I have gone, gone back and forth. It's quite obvious that he very much wants me to stop. You don't know anything about me. Uh, but the fact of the matter is I, I, I absolutely do know everything that I'm, everything that I'm worried about. I am positive. He's engaged in, I'm worried about hashtagging dead and dying animals product names i i think that that's rather we we get the three of us could agree or disagree but to me that's rather perverse no let me ask you can can i ferret something out real quick is it too pedantic to draw a line because i think some people would do it draw a line between dead and dying like the reason i say this is because like I, i was listening to your podcast with the guy from TNK, I thought it was awesome. The guy's just super straight up dude, it seems. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Hard and not to was, like him. Yeah, exactly. And that was a point where he, I remember him saying he didn't mind, you know, posting, you know, tasteful pictures of, of hunted animals or dead animals. And and I that's that was cool. But I think the when you see an animal, like I've seen, I don't want to understand this mentality. And I can even draw, even though I don't post stuff, you know, dead animals at all, I can draw a line between the motivation of somebody posting a picture of like a nice elk they killed or something like that, or even a fish they caught or something. And then kind of what I've seen on some trapping guys sites where you see like the coyote has dug himself a donut and it's all about getting the shot. And is it in your mind or are you conflating those as the, same thing or what because you're saying dead and dying animals is this this one category and they shouldn't be seen as separate things that you can address separately 
if the if, if you're saying if you're wondering about the distinction between dead and dying, when I think of dying, I'm talking about the kill shot. And as soon as the arrow enters it, that instant it's now a dying animal. Understood. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And in in terms of what's most harmful to our sport, I'm I'm not so much fixated on the anti-hunter. Yeah. What 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 kind of fodder it, this the hunting social media stuff provides them? That's not my con, that's not my biggest concern. And sure, it's a concern, especially with what you just described. Yeah. I mean that that's that that crap. It's like that's strange. I, it makes me want. It pushes me towards being an anti, I guess, trapper. I, I mean, it's just. We, why how in the world is that helpful yeah i don't a guy it, like kneeling down next to that's just a yeah, creature like, that's absolutely terrified yes that's been in a trap for two three days one two three days whatever and and taking the time to like relish that moment with photographs when it should be like dispatching the animal post haste should be the yeah uh what i i i'm i don't know if there's ever good motivation for posting a, a, a grip and grin i I did a little bit of research and I did a little bit of a survey on that. And I was never confronted with any reasons that I found convincing. Um, and I see a lot of, obviously I see a lot of what could be, what I believe are negative or unhelpful motivations for, for doing that. But I wasn't prepared for people to care. You know, I, I just was surprised because like I say, this, the model I was running is that these individuals are putting up a picture and then I thought they were, they cared what other people thought. I thought that's what the comment thing was supposed to be, was that they cared what people thought. But then if you write what you think and it's, it's not supportive, they get upset. It, what was but when the guy got with you offline about it, he was saying that. Well, I mean, what was his comment to you about just he, just telling you not to comment at all, or was it specifically defending his position? Or um, it was. If you want to talk about this like men, then let's do that and not, you know, be. He didn't say this, use this verb, but trolling me. It's not what he said, but that was the implication. I can't remember right offhand. I could probably find it. I'm sure I could find it. You think he was pissed, though, because if he was hashtagging products, whatever he was sponsored, do you think that it was potentially damaging the relationship between him and a sponsor that he either. Yeah, and the very, and the post, the post I commented on was he's talking about mentorship 
and a bunch of other things. And it's in relation to a backpack company that sponsors him. Gotcha. And my comment was something along the lines of, if by mentorship, you mean leasing up land and locking other people out, I think I'll try to make my way unmentored on the, on the public lands that content, content like this are causing to be overcrowded because he leases mm. a bunch of land in Eastern Montana. Oh, gotcha. Huh. You're just a bully, Matt. I just get filled <laughs> with righteous indignation. He wasn't prepared for that. I guarantee you. Yeah. And I really need to spend more time thinking about how to behave, how to comport myself in a way that maximizes the chances that something positive comes all about out of the, out, about because of this, as opposed to trying to maximize that instead of maximizing the maybe the gotcha stuff or the the what's uh, the the sensationalization bit where it's just like maximum outrage. I'm not trying to be that way, but maybe I should work on toning down the rhetoric and, and thinking more about how to have the maximum positive, positive effect on the things I care about, which are publicly accessible, non-pay hunting. I think I think given your sort of like your your position on these things, I think that's hard for people to see that you're trying to make something positive out of it or have a positive or change things in a positive direction overall because really when you when you go through or when you respond to somebody doing something online or you have a conversation with somebody about something they're doing it's almost unfortunately sort of puts them at, at defense anyway on a defensive uh, footing anyway, because you're, you're, it's like, you know, you see a guy, a, a trapper guy, you see a guy with a kill shot or something like that. You're asking him, why did you put that on there? So immediately the connotation is what you've done is wrong. And I can, I, I, it, I mean, it's going to, it's a tough road to hoe to get somebody to respond to that positively. You know, like, yeah, maybe be interested. I just want I mean, I remember when we talked a long time ago, like, I think the success of what you're trying to do is not going to be seen. It's not people, they're just, people will just simply pull back from what they do. And they're not going to go on social media and claim or explain that, hey, I used to do this. I see the errors in my ways. And they're going to abase themselves. And then they're going to step back and say, I'm no longer going to post this. You're just going to stop seeing people post. But it's so, it's going to happen so quietly and so subtly that Man, it's just it's one of these things you're never really going to know the true success of your endeavors. Yeah, I think in a way because it's the the nature of success is you'll never know the person exists. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, so you're yeah. Not, you're yeah. Not going to yeah. Be, 
hey, my I'm posting my last Instagram yes. animal kill today, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, seeking that adulation and stuff. And I think it's really it's a tough spot to be in, you know. Um, but I do think, I mean, I, on a podcast a couple episodes ago, you mentioned like how many uh, emails actually maybe it was the email to you said it was there's sort of like a motif to the emails you get mm-hmm. it's like this one from chase is similar to this where it's there's sort of a form that that people are going through it's a process that people are there uh, you know like a five-step program and they're getting out of this and seeing how ridiculous it is and and i think the more that happens the more positive the more people will see the positive outcome of it um and choose not to post stuff or choose not to maybe support uh, brands that rely on the, you know, hashtag heaven out there on Instagram or whatever it is, or just to be aware of it. I, I think I mentioned one time that success is like somebody, you know, shooting an animal. And then instead of instantly reaching for their phone to take a picture of it, they just don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's a, and that's a very, that would be a very, uh, it'd be a personal thing that person journey has to, the person has to go through to not that to stop themselves from doing something that they feel compelled to do because of the dopamine drip that we get from social media and stuff. But um, I think when it happens, it, it happens um, hopefully for the right reasons and hopefully that kind of mentality spreads. You know? Yeah. And it might be something that just happens under the surface and the people aren't, there's just a change in the, it's, in the it's almost we fiction, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, after you fully give it up and everything, you really feel like you really feel good about it. You really do. That's like the best feeling I've ever had from hunting was giving up that crap, like done. And I think. If a lot, like the people that aren't making money from it is what I'm talking about, because the people that are making money from it, I don't know how you combat that, but the people that aren't making money from it, there's no point. Like you are literally killing something to get likes on Facebook. I mean, yeah. And when, I, when I comment on these posts, I'm not talking to the, the per, I'm not trying to have a conversation or, or convey a message to the person that posted the dan- dead animal picture. I'm trying to convey a message to the people that are yeah. looking at it. Exactly. Because they, I mean, they see these people like heroes. I mean, they're like Michael Jordan or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it becomes this aspirational thing when, you know, you see your, what could be yourself out there. And and if this person has likes or whatever, you're like, I, it would be great to be that person and receive those those likes and the adulation from you know an equal number of anonymous people that you'll never meet in your life, and that could all you know just be complete idiots in their in their day to day life. But as long as they get on Instagram and like you, you like them, and, and you're right, you realize the sort of how vapid that is to to seek adulation from people that you'll never ever know. It's actually when you think about it, it's sad in a way that. Uh, that that happens and that they act like um, that that stuff is real. I mean, I go through it with my, my kids uh, schoolmate. She doesn't have, my kid doesn't have any um, social media at all, but my God, her friend group and stuff, the amount of time they spend and and the importance they put on it. And it's funny because we're talking about hunters, you know, these sort of 
supposedly salt of the earth people, you know, um, uh, you know, can do kind of people and whatnot. But the mentality that drives them to do this sometimes is the same as the 15 year old. Girl. Oh, I that it's you're incredible. You're hitting on something I thought a lot about Baxter is exactly that. And the, what's there's no research on the. I'm about to have a mental mental in one of the upcoming podcasts. I I I have I interview a mental health professional who's also a hunter, mm-hmm. uh, and he's from from Utah, and we. But the obviously there and it's a great it's a great conversation. Not because of me, but because of him. He's wonderful. <clears throat> but he. I mean, there's obviously no research on the mental consequences of being involved in hunting social media. But where there is a lot of research is, as it turns out, adolescent girls. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys know who Jonathan Haidt is. Absolutely. I was just thinking of Jonathan Haidt. Is that who you're going to having on? No. Wouldn't that be great? That would be wouldn't that be great? Oh. <laughs> I'm just. I, not, was, I, don't I, was, I was actually going to be surprised he hunted, but uh, but yeah, and no, he, no. he wouldn't need to. I would love to have him on, but uh, for the listening audience, if you don't aren't familiar with Jonathan Haidt's work, he well, he wrote a book that's pretty popular called "The, the Coddling of the American Mind." And that's about how this helicopter parenting approach that we've developed that's that's kind of, for whatever reason, become mainstream parenting approach is not doing our kids any favors. But the other thing is he's tried to discover the causes of what's become a suicide epidemic among adolescent girls and he derives some pretty good ev- evidence that it's <clears throat> largely a consequence of social media so i'm yeah. glad that baxter because um i like you i'm <laughs> glad you're keeping your daughter away from that stuff uh, it's it's hard you know it's funny just today uh, not to be too tangential here but uh, today was a what they call a media day at her school, and and where they basically take you know the year photographs of the volleyball team and stuff. And there's a guy who walks around and he does social media, and I'm I'm for everybody listening, I'm doing the danger quotes or whatever for the volleyball team. And he came up to my there's two girls on the team that don't have social media, my daughter and another girl. And he was like, hey, when are you guys going to get Instagram accounts so I can tag you guys on these videos I'm making and stuff? And my daughter told him, you can talk to my dad about that. And uh, it's kind of a joke now. She she's become sort of iconoclastic by not doing it. And I say, God bless her, man, because this stuff is so pernicious. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what it what it makes people do is what it makes people do. I think will surprise you if you take a step back. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've seen a couple videos like this. You may you may run across them where it's like a video of somebody saving an animal. Let's say, and like one that sticks out in my mind is. Um, there's a, a video of a like a fawn stuck in a fence, like a wrought iron fence. And, you know, it's like a person walking. You see the camera sort of first person, and then the, the, the camera stops, and it's focused on the deer stuck in the fence. And, the per, you know, enter, you know, enter, you know, good Samaritan 
to go free this uh, this deer, you know, and they tug on the fence or whatever it is to get the thing out and the deer runs away. And then what follows are, you know, 10,000 likes and all these, oh, you're the best thanks you know, thank you for saving this poor animal and stuff. But me, when I look at it, my contrary itself says, okay, the first thing you thought about when you saw an animal in distress is you and your desire to post you saving it <laughs> to the world. You don't have the compassion of a gnat if the first thing you think about is how can I parlay this into likes and clicks or whatever on Instagram? Yeah. If their phone battery had been dead right then, they might just kept walking. Yeah. Go free the freaking animal and, and let it go and let that be all you, all the reward you need uh, for that, you know, and, and, but it, that's what I'm, you know, it, it, it makes the, that desire to, for those likes that you're talking about, Chase, that sort of addiction is so strong that it makes you delay or makes some people delay helping somebody else or some other animal so that they can get it on film and share it. And I think that's really perverse. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's just silly. Um, I, I know a lot of people might disagree with me or think I'm being too harsh on that, but I, I also like to consider this is that, you know, that the video they shared wasn't the only video. So there's a video after that and or before that, and probably one after that as well. So like, how many times did you reshoot this scenes to make oh. it's like, get off the damn phone and just help the animal, let it out. And, but, but when you, when you see these things time after time, after time, you realize you're just living in this weird voyeuristic world where people are, are just, they're just addicted to the look at me. It's funny, man. Just before I got on this call, I was reading an article in the New Yorker magazine about Instagram face and about how, and, and about how the prevalence of certain um, like facial plastic surgeries are, are sort of defined by what Instagram is showing and stuff. And it's just, it's hard to believe people are doing that, but oh, it's, wow. it's, yeah, it's if you get the New Yorker, check it out. It's pretty crazy. I do get uh, the New Yorker. Yeah, it's it's surprising. I, I thought it was really telling that this popped in just as we were going. Oh. The effect of Instagram on people, even to the point of plastic surgery and lip and, you know, injections or whatever. Yeah. So make that face that's perfect for the algorithm. You know, it's, it's incredible. Do you, do you guys know who Anthony Jeselnik is? I don't. He's a comedian. And he he's just brutal. Just he 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 his his shtick is just to be as big an a-hole as possible. And but and but it he's he's very funny because he'll take you down these alleys where you think you're going one way and then you end up going completely a different direction right at the end, and it's hysterical. This bit I'm thinking of right now isn't one of those where it's like there's an abrupt uh, oblique angle right at the end. It's pretty straightforward, but he has this bit where he goes something like, here's who I'm making fun of. When I go on social media on the day of a tragedy, he goes, you go, you go on there and it'll be thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers for the people in Aurora. Thoughts and prayers for the people in Boston. He goes, you know what that's worth? Fucking nothing. Yeah. Less than fucking nothing. You haven't given any of your time 
your money, your compassion, all you are doing is saying, don't forget about me. Yeah. A lot of distractions in the news these days. But don't forget how sad I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big, yep. You know. Yeah. Quite narcissistic. Yeah. All right. We got to, Chase, we got to let you drive for a while. Let's get into your past a bit. You're a fellow, oh uh, fairly young guy. You're 32 years old. Yeah, I think. I'm not real sure. Oh, that is so interesting to me right there. We'll just we're gonna talk about that for the rest of this episode. How in the world? Because I think of it as time is ticking away. 50, 50, or let me start back a little bit for dramatic effect. 48. 49, 50, 50 and a half, 51. I can't imagine, I mean, in my pool of hopes, fears, anxieties, joys, and anger, I'd probably spend 20, 30 minutes a day thinking about exactly how old I am. (laughs) I'm a pretty laid back person, Matt. I don't get too fired up about anything. This is one thing I get fired up about. But hunting, hunting, mm-hmm. and fishing, yeah. which fishing's starting to take more time than hunting because the hunting's starting to go away. But that's our, that's the way it is. When what? How is hunting going away for you? Well, like I told you, oh, sta- I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll go there first. That wasn't where I was going to start with this, but let's go. Let's start with that. Well, like I told you, our this states, is a great allegory. What what Chase is about to tell us about our state's only, I think, two percent public land. So you're Texas. basically probably yeah. We're very close. Probably have a little bit more public land than Texas per per landmass, but um, kind of the same along the lines. But, um, so you're, if you're wanting to hunt in our state, you're more than likely going to have to be on private land and that's becoming a difficult chore. Um, my dad's, uh, well, he was a ag teacher and now he's retired and he's a farmer. So I ought to have the most access out of anybody. Yeah, Anybody's going to be able to knock on yeah. some doors. Um, but I mean, how I got far a degree do you want- in agronomy and I, my undergraduate degrees in agronomy. And that was, that was my motivation is that I yeah. lend itself <laughs> to hunting permissions. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. No, it's just, um, you can't, you basically can't, I'm very blessed because my dad's uh college friend still owns land and he allows me to hunt that's my only saving grace right now but um if you want to hunt in our state you're paying for it and i can't afford to do that and don't want to pay to do it i'm not as harsh as you are on it but if i had to pay to do it it takes a lot of fun out of it so Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I, 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 I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. And you're probably right that I'm on the extreme end where I would pick a different hobby at that point. Uh, but tell us, tell, tell, tell everybody about you recently lost access to a piece. Yeah, my best friend since fifth grade, um, his family owns a lot of land, but the partial I was hunting was about 1500 acres and i hunted it some of my family members hunted it some of his other friends hunted it um and would have been two years ago um i kill a pretty good buck off of it and it was three years ago was the last time i ever posted anything on social media because i was done with it but that's another story um i shoot this buck I send the pictures to five or 10 different people and roll around to this last year. I go out there to check on my stands and stuff. And there's a bunch of brand new box blinds and feeders and everything sitting right by mine. So I call him up. Hey man, what's going on? You know, did you lease it? What's, what's up? He's like, yeah, they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. Paid me thirty-five grand for fifteen hundred acres. I'm like, yeah. I was like, I just need to go in there and get my stuff if you don't mind. He's like, no, go ahead. So I went in there and loaded all my stands up, got them out of there. But um, so through the grapevine, what ended up happening is this guy knew that i've killed some big deer and um basically these pictures that you sent to your friends yeah he basically saw someone at a bar or party or something and figured out who i was and he figured out who my friend was and basically hunted him down and sent through money at him is what happened yeah so i mean how much Mm -hmm. $35,000 for 1,500 acres. Is that like a a year? Does that lock it in for a year? One year lease. Wow. And this this wasn't a giant deer. I mean, we're talking 165-inch typical whitetail. I mean, a really good deer. That's a giant deer deer by my standards. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's a good deer, but it's not. I mean, I mean with that with that fun. kind of money, was he subletting that? Was he was he doing a deal I, where he wanted access and then having making a little hunt club and then turn it into a business? There had to have been something like that yeah, going on. That's a lot of cash. But, but still that place I mean it was a good it was a good place to hunt, but killing two or three bucks off of it was I mean, that's the max that you'd want to do. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a low, it's a low productive area. There's not a ton of deer. There's not a ton of mature deer. Um, so you're killing two or three or four or five bucks off of it for 35000 That's over $7,000 a deer. I mean, you can't, no one's guiding for that around here. I mean, they're paying anywhere from 3500 to 5000 to go on a guided hunt around here so you never make your money back on that price you know 
me for me there was for him it was close to his house or there was just something extra attractive to him about it I, the big thing i wonder with stuff like that with stories like that is do these people do they do they ever stop to consider what they're doing to their fellow hunters or is it just they don't care at all i don't know and it's just like the most vicious and nasty stuff I've ever seen people do is in, been in the hunting, hunting world, hunting sphere. Like, I mean, you dive into the waterfowl and stuff around here and people pull guns on each other slash tires to shoot a duck. I mean, yeah, I have, I have uh, an episode coming up with another young fellow from, from Oklahoma that, has stories like that and uh about fighting at the boat ramp and, and oh yeah spraying people with shot on purpose and i mean i didn't even, i didn't even duck or goose hunt last year i didn't even buy my duck stamp because i've got a bunch of farmers that will let me hunt but it's kind of funny every time They'll call me when the guides start calling them that they've got birds on them and they won't let any of the guides hunt on their stuff. And they'll call me. And by the time I get there, all the birds are gone. That happens every time. Well, after the guy, they tell the guides, no, they shoot all the birds off. Sorry. My Corgi's having a bad dream. Oh, that's all right. My labs, he's back there sleeping. So he's all right. But, um, Jason, wait, wait, what's this about the, you, they'll call you, and then by the time you get there, the bird's gone. Did, I, did, did you catch that, Baxter, or did I, and I'm falling asleep, or? <laughs> no, it's, it sounded like the, was the, was the owner scaring off the birds so that you wouldn't end up in anything and to save them for the guides? No, it's the other, see, the owners are against the guides and all that, but the guides will run the birds off so that they'll go land on another field that they can lease or pay for. Oh, so then they're trespassing to get the birds off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Dude, they'll shoot high powered rifles off the road or they'll oh. shoot fire off the road or whatever to just get them off and get them on another field. Because after that landowner tells them no, then it's, you know they gotta get oh, the then, it's, wow. then it's a game of trying to get the birds without the permission yeah just, i had three different fields last year that i could have hunted that were loaded up with geese and the farmer called me to go hunt them so the guides would quit calling them by the time i got there the birds were gone every time yeah. just to scout them and but is the i'm gonna ask a probing question on that leasing stuff real quick if i can when you say you're talking about this example where a, a piece of property that you had hunted got leased up, what is like the trend? I don't know anything about hunting in Oklahoma. I've never leased land. I'm actually learning a great deal from the Hunt Quietly podcast about how this lease stuff works because it's actually fascinating and sort of terrifying at the same time. But what is the picture of like leased land look over like the last five or 10 years? Is this something where 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you could reliably find a place to hunt on private land, but then slowly the march of 
people leasing land has, has locked those things out, or has it always been like this? Is it something you grew up with, or it's an it's an it's affect of of sort of the popularity of hunting? There's always been some leasing going on on the deer hunting side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always been some leasing on the really primo stuff, but other than that, you can knock on doors or you talk to the old man at the church and he'd let you hunt his place and then the science teacher he'd let you hunt his place and then you know you'd have a pile of different places you could go hunt um but that's just kept on and kept on and it's just gotten worse and worse to where there isn't a single spot that isn't leased I mean, it's either leased or the people that own it are hunting it, period. Yeah. In, in the water. Woods, I think the Duck Dynasty is a, yeah. a big cause of that, right? See, the I graduated in 09, and in 2010 and 11, whenever I was going to college, we duck or goose hunted every single day of Christmas break and never took a day off and we had multiple places to hunt every single day and now like i just told you i haven't i didn't even i didn't even shoot my shotgun last year just for want of a place to shoot it yeah 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 and that's pretty that's pretty common i mean and you'll hear that you can still probably, if you worked your tail off, you could probably find a place to duck or goose hunt by beating on doors, but there's going to be five other guys sitting there beating on the door with you. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the fighting comes in and all the all the bad stuff comes in is right there because yeah. it's all narrowed down to just little places that just a few landowners that don't let the guides hunt them anymore. Is what happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I struggle with how much to say the same things over and over again. But in my mind, what you're describing is all a consequence of hunting promotion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. You know. What's and- interesting about learning about this leasing is that growing up, I grew up in Virginia, right? So when when we hunted at my uncle's farm and stuff, and I had a friend in West Virginia that had a place that I would hunt. But whenever I heard about people not getting access to property anymore, I always just, for whatever reason, assumed that it was just because the, the owner, the new owner, just wasn't letting people hunt anymore. The idea of, of this thing becoming like a business to lease land, and maybe I'm just naive and I just wasn't plugged into this stuff, it, it never crossed my mind. And so to hear about stories like this, or just, it's kind of weird, man. The other day, um, a, a friend of mine out here asked me if I wanted to go in on a lease on some property that bordered on three sides of BLM land. And I was like, oh, I feel dirty after having that conversation because I'm like, no, I would never do that. I'm too cheap. But but just the idea of this of, of, of a financial concern being the cause of it and not like uh it's just a change of the guard and, and times are changing and we're just restricting hunting is really sort of it's it's uh it's kind of depressing in a way that i that what i thought was happening is even worse because it's done just for a a, a profit motive which 
it's hard to fault people for making a living, but at the same time, it's, it's, it kind of sucks because the old thing of knocking on doors or whatever, and in, in a, in an endeavor like hunting, that's supposed to be all about, you know, family and communication about tradition and all this has really just turned over into, well, you know, we just need to make a buck from it. And, you know, if we make a buck from it, it's the way we're going to go. That's kind of, kind of sad in a way. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, the place I hunt now, he's my dad's best friend from college. And I mean, I go out there and help him work cattle, fix fence, helped him plant wheat last year, cut wheat, do all that stuff. And I mean, that's the little I can do, you know? I mean, I have a full-time job, so, but it's the least I can do to, but that's how it used to always be, you know? Yeah, you form a relationship with the landowner and, and you get to haunt and maybe help them out, show appreciation. Yeah, in my mind, that's the way it should still be. I don't know. I don't know how you get back to that. I don't. I think Pandora's box is kind of open, and that's that's the fear in my mind. It's just slowly going away, and I don't. I don't really know what you can do about it. In that sense, um, it's. I've thought about it really hard, and I don't. I just really don't know. There's, there's uh in the North American model wildlife management and then i don't know if you guys are familiar with the orion institute that's malone shane that that shane maloney well the founder was one of the founders was jim posowitz okay um got it wrote uh beyond fair chase and a number of other books here in montana he worked for fwp for 30 some years was an incredibly effective conservation champion and there's a lot about the democracy democracy in hunting and what we're talking about here where you got people just locking up land for themselves using money and when i look at that and then i look at what causes it which is hunting promotion and who who who's responsible for hunting promotion it's it's the biggest names in hunting it just makes me so depressed that the whole thing what you're experiencing in my mind chase is a byproduct of the actions of the biggest names in hunting oh yeah there's no doubt they just be by through the advertising by through I mean if, if hunting promotion causes leasing. There's just to argue otherwise is to argue that advertising doesn't work. And then somehow, <laughs> unlike every other domain in human life, in every other domain in society, somehow in this one area of human endeavor, advertising doesn't work. I'm just not willing to buy it. Um so it's just so so frustrating to me that these the people that on the face of it they're they're champions for conserva- conservation and 
access and stuff like that, but you look at the consequences of what they do, hunting TV and then the rich doctor or whoever sees that is like, oh, I want to do that. And then they go and buy it. And nowhere, nowhere, nowhere do I see any of the big names in hunting saying, don't do that. Don't, if if you're going to lease some land, then, then you should be focused on not just leasing it for yourself, but maybe letting some other people on, you know, there's, there's no, it's just, they're just silent on what are the biggest problems in hunting today. Inability to access places to hunt, inability to draw tags. And they're just, they're, they're just silent on it because the people in my mind is probably because the people that are leasing up the land, they buy this, the celebrities products and they don't want to. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, I think there's sort of two ways to look at that, that, like a problem, like solving the problem of what's going on with hunting from one aspect. It's, it's the, um, it's the access thing. It's just, there's, there's not enough land to access. And then the other side of it is there's too many people accessing concentrated, you know, concentrating on certain pieces of land. And then you have the other aspect of leasing and stuff, but it's that, I think what it seems like sometimes, like I, I, I had a great deal of interest and in, in fun listening to your conversation with Randy Newberg, but it, it never seemed to dawn on him that, that, and also the guys from BHA, but it never seemed to dawn on him that the creation of more of these hunters is, 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 is negatively impacting the endeavor itself to the point that it's going to cause people to, to not, uh, be sustainable hunters, let's say. It's like the tragedy of the commons, you know, when you you have the resource and you have the people acting on their own self-interest on that resource, it depletes the resource for everybody else. And and it, it's I don't know if it's a selfishness thing or whatever it is, where um, people are just so bent on getting theirs while the getting is good without thinking of, then what are, what are we doing? And, uh, you know, it's funny you bring up positives because – Randy made a comment about him on the podcast that that you know Posowitz was re- responsible for some opening of some great land or some you know some areas of land or whatever it was access. Yeah, and I on thought, the Rocky you know, Mountain front. Yeah, it's like well, what I was thinking is well, I must have missed the Jim Posowitz hunting program because surely without the hunting program where you're selling the goods and driving people into the woods, surely it's impossible to have these positive impacts. But obviously, Posowitz did that. So it's a tension between how people are supposedly, you know, increasing access and all this other stuff and how it can be done. There's a lot of tension. You don't have to be, you know, a famous hunter. You don't have to have a million followers on Facebook to do it. These dudes did it basically with no social media. And, and uh, it, that, it's, it's lost, I think, sometimes on, on some big names because, I, uh, you know, I think the gig is really good. And, and, and. Honestly, you can, I said, it seems like a stand-up guy, but you can say you're just a hardworking accountant all you want. But, man, it's a pretty good gig to do a hell of a lot of hunting on TV. And it's something that, like I said, it's aspirational. It makes other people want to do that same thing. But there's a payback for that, I think. Um, Yeah. I mean, everything hangs on improving the situation. Everything everything hangs on can – 
we get hunters to look out for other hunters. Yeah. I think that's it. I, you know, it's, there, there was a, um, there's a kind of a, there's a new hunting journal out. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's um, it was started by Donald Trump Jr. And some other guys It's called field ethos. It's actually pretty good. I actually like it um, because it's, they focus on writing and stuff. And I'm, I'm a hunting literature guy. I love, I have 2000 books in my library. A lot of them are about old hunting stories and stuff. So I, I take a lot of that content in, especially the older stuff. But it was interesting. Um, one of the guys was asked what he thought of this guy, Donnie Vincent, which I don't know Donnie Vincent all that well, but he said, you know, he's telling good stories and telling them in the right way. And he's, and somebody made the comment that, uh, um, you know, when po people post stuff on social media, they should be asking, you know, is it good for hunting? And I think that's, I think, yeah, they, they really should. And that's the hunters caring about other hunters as well is, is what I'm doing posting these kill shots or whatever. How is that going to affect, you know, no man is an Island, that whole, John Don thing, you know, yeah, it has a downstream effect. And when, uh, you know, 100,000 people do that or 10,000 people do that, there is a downstream effect that negatively affects everybody. And it's like before you hit send, I don't think there's a lot of thought mm -hmm. <laughs> going into that. And, and because there seems to be so much focus on me getting something for me, um, whether it's likes or something or a potential deal with a backpack company, and that is sort of a shame. Um, but uh, how you stop that time, man, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think it starts with the individual, though, kind of like Chase is talking about. You know, you just you wake up one day and go, what the hell? I, I, you know, I'll give you an experience of mine. I have a, an Instagram account. It's generally to keep in touch with some folks across the seas. And uh, I actually posted a picture of a moose that, I, that a friend of mine hunted. I felt like a complete idiot after I posted. I'm like, first of all, it's not even my moose. I was just telling people what I was doing. And I felt like dirty after I posted it. And I went and deleted it. I'm like, that was the most idiotic thing. This was last year. I'm like, like for, for a second, I thought, oh, you know, people are interested in this. Then I went, no, they're not. They're not interested in that at all. You know? And uh, I don't know if that would have a, any great effect on anything. But just the idea that, you know, thinking before you hit send or, or thinking about that downstream effect is something that I, I don't know that there's a lot of that going on. I think mm -hmm. the downstream effect people are thinking about is how it affects them personally. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. One thing I gives me a little bit of hope is man, do I enjoy taking people hunting that are just getting into it yeah. or fishing for that matter. It is such a a source of joy to see that this the the the, the what the this thing that has captivated my whole me my whole life to see other people early in their development as a hunter or fisher person and that makes me feel like what if that's widespread what if other hunters feel that but they just don't they don't realize that when they do something like lease up a bunch of land for themselves or whatever what how, that they just haven't put the pieces together and seen that it's depriving other people of of opportunity so th those two things need to become connected in people's minds that there's this mentorship component and people get a lot of joy from that. I think I sure do. Yeah. 
and but that you, when you lock up a bunch of land for yourself, it it's it's reducing the overall level of enjoyment that hunting brings society. Um, I guess one way of, of articulating what I'd like to see hunting become would be, or what would be an improvement is that if hunt, if hunter huntable acres per hunter became more uniform, you know, yeah. If it wasn't so, this is the, there's this, there's this kurtosis in that distribution where for most people, it's a small number of acres, but with them, but with people that have a lot of money, it's a whole bunch and just trying to make that more uniform through just a sense of goodwill towards your fellow hunters. I just, I think you're, this will sound kind of harsh, but I think you're naive. Holding a lot of people way higher than yeah. what this, you know. I mean, I honestly think there's, there's a percentage of hunters out there. And I've thought about this a lot. There is a, there is a certain percentage out there that only hunt to take a picture and put it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, and, and I agree with that, but here's the thing. There's, here's the remedy there as I see it is if we could somehow get hunters to stop providing an audience for that. Exactly. And that's then what it seems like things would improve because then there would, that would just be removed as an incentive. And then I don't, how many fewer acres would be leased if you if one of the benefits of hunting that benefit the benefit of dead wildlife as a status symbol was no longer provided just because people were like no I'm not going to I'm not going to be an, an audience member from that cuz that's just screwing up my own prospects I think it would shock you I really do. Like the improvement that would come from that. Yes, because I think there is so many people out there that are doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that. Where are you at on that, Baxter? If the, if Okay, yeah, let me operationalize the question just a little bit more. If... So the only things I think of is, uh, are of legitimate, and this is just me, you know, everybody has their own opinion, but are hide, horns, meat, and the sense of self-reliance that comes from providing meat for yourself. Those are the four reasons that I consider legitimate for hunting. They're the new ones, the new incentives fairly recent in the, in terms of the history of humanity, the new ones are fame and uh, status and monetary gain. What if we went back, if we could somehow, because the hunting community just decided we're not gonna, we're not gonna follow this crap. We're not going to watch this stuff. 
if it went back to those same four, the original four, what do you, what kind of an impact do you think that would have, Baxter? Do you think that there would be less leasing if it was just about those four? Man, that's tough because there's always going to be there's there's always going to be the people at the top who just were the leasing thing is how they play the game to get access. And that's just the people with access to a lot of cash. But at the same time, go ahead. At the same time, if you have, if you have pressure to lease dropping because just nobody's demanding it, then it it definitely, you definitely could return to some sort of stasis, probably not back where it was, but something less than what it is today, where it's not as, it's not as ridiculous. Um, but you know, I think there's a fifth thing you didn't mention food. You, oh, you mentioned- that's the sense of self-reliance one. This, yeah. The, the thing, one thing I think, well, like, no, I said hide horns and meat. Right. But I think as far as motivating to put, to post on social media, there's also this thing that I think is really disingenuous to be honest with you. And it's this thing of, I know where all my meat comes from and people are get they fetishize like. A, a, a leg of a deer or something or backstrap and that becomes their motivation in other words it's the uber ethical environmental eco-friendly hunter guy who likes pure montana venison that becomes the shtick and i'm going to sell you a cooking pot not oh a, absolutely not, not it's the not it's a, the not it's absolutely and and there's and i think there's a problem with that in that it's the reason i say it's disingenuous is because if you sort of pay attention to some of the big cooks and stuff you look at the some other pictures these people might share when they're on their way to go harvest some you know whatever it is and they're eating a box of cheese it's you're like you know you were so freaking concerned about the the venison but you don't care where your cheese it's come from so you, let's let's not be disingenuous and tell me the most important thing to you and why you're a hunter is because you care so much about your diet. It's just like it's it's an affect that they that they seem to put on sometimes, and people get wrapped up in that. And I do call it fetishizing. We are fetishizing this meat like it's like I'm it's better than you. It's the symbolic interactions thing of look at me with my clean meat, and it's like man, it's it's simulacrum. It is I am telling you. I am showing you what you want to think is the purest way to get your meat. And it's through this convoluted, expensive way of hunting. And that's, I think that's, I think that's what motivates some people too. So I think, I don't know. I, I, I agree completely. As a matter of fact, I pro I, I have, I'm less, I have less distaste for people that brag about the horns <laughs> because it's more straightforward. Yeah. When you like, yeah, hide so it, like it is, it's a, me, Mr. or Mrs. Just uh, this rugged outdoors person signaling kind of thing where right. um, aren't I great provider and my meat is so healthy and it, it's just yeah. a, a, another form of bragging. There's no question. It is. It. it is. And that's why it's, I see them really as the same thing. They're, they seem to be done by two kind of different people but again it's that whole thing of what motivates the person is what drives them is really kind of a, the same thing to me um, i don't know maybe i'm off base i don't know it's just something the something the 
the a, a big question to me, a big question to me, the big question is if we could make take away all of the incentives that come about just by making it taboo. Taboo to post your your venison asu bugo just as much as it's it's taboo to post gripping and grins. What that would do in terms of the pay to play stuff and and the commodification and the leasing and all the things that I'm concerned about that if it would do nothing, then I'm wasting my time. Another thing I often say is if people care more about hunting entertainment than they do hunting itself, I'm wasting my time. Yeah. Well, I think, things I think you're finding out how people are responding to that. If you're, if you're actively commenting on things that you perceive to be harmful, right. To hunting online, you're seeing that sort of, you're seeing, uh, it's like they say, you know, you get flack when you're over the target. And, and if, if commenting in a way um, on somebody's post, not, not, not to intentionally hurt, hurt them necessarily, but, but to sort of illuminate how other people, this may be perceived outside or the damage it might be doing, um, that, that is, maybe that is what's necessary. It's kind of a, Man, you, you become sort of a <laughs> chaser, saying sort of like a, a bully in a sense, because you, in order to achieve the effect, you have to become a critic, because apparently convincing him otherwise is not is not working, and so you have to criticize. You know, it, it's probably not a good thing to show an animal bleeding on a screen. How does this? How does showing this whitetail, you know, getting dizzy and falling down? How does that promote people into being positive? steward-minded hunters mm-hmm. how does it how, how do i take that message and how can i share that to a wider audience how can i share that to a landowner right that's and you know i'm not sure about letting people hunt but you know this is what i do right i'm going to present to you what i do and what i share and if i kill a deer on your property this is what i'm this is the type of stuff i'm going to share would that allow you access to a piece of property probably not they'd go uh-huh. listen man i don't want to see that but it's that idea of putting the mirror up and that's really kind of what you're talking about doing so listen there's there there are other perspectives out there on this than just the posters perspective and even the people who are liking and sharing it's the honest the way i put it the more mindful people going hey we're thinking beyond our nose here we're thinking into wider effects societal effects environmental effects whatever you want to call it and we're wondering if this is the best thing to do and um a lot of people don't like that a lot of hunters i've you know, I've noticed that hunters get very, very uncomfortable when you start criticizing what hunters do. I hear this a lot where it's like, as long as it's legal, you don't, you shouldn't be criticizing. I've and heard I, that too. We need to stick together as a community. Yeah, I can't, community. I can't, they, I can't disagree with that more. Um, that, that just because you're doing something doesn't necessarily, and just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Le- I think of the law as, as demarking the lowest form of acceptable behavior. Oh, that's right? a great way. Of, yeah. And then, right, right, but then right, your right. ethics are sort of metalitigious. They're sitting on top of that. It doesn't tell you the best way to do things. And it seems sometimes when we fall back on that, it's legal, you know, per the law. So don't criticize it because if you do that, you endanger, you open the door to further criticism by forces that might negatively impact us or, or hurt our, our endeavor, whatever it is. But at the same time, if the behavior 
that's going on legally is also negatively affecting it. How on earth do we ever get better about things if we don't self-criticize? Yeah. I, I, you know, I just reading some thing the other day about um, one of the old professional hunters in, in Kenya in, in the early days, back when lion were considered vermin. Okay. They, there was no license. You could do whatever you wanted to. He saw that, hey, you shouldn't be shooting from cars. You shouldn't have these unlimited, you know, 27, killing 27 lions in a day. This kind of crap. This is going to hurt our, these are not sportsmen. This is going to hurt the populations of the game. And eventually they got the game, uh, the game laws changed on that. This was 1928, 1929. And he was absolutely hammered by some of the other people in the, in the, in the safari sort of land over there at the time because it was, hey, you know, these animals are vermin. The law describes them as vermin. You can do what you want. We're simply paving the way for modernity or whatever. But he knew in the back of his mind that what we're doing is wrong. And he was right. A hundred years later, you know what? He was right. We shouldn't have been doing that. Or they shouldn't have been doing that over there. The English, yeah. the Americans, whatever. Wow. And, and I, think, I think for us not to do that, <laughs> today's world, asking the same questions of, just positing the question, should we be incentivizing killing animals by sponsoring people on Instagram? I mean, that's what manufacturers should be doing. Of course, the bottom line is always going to be, hell yeah, because we're getting money from that. But is that, let's think 20 years from now. Stop thinking, I said, stop thinking at your nose, go past your nose a little bit and start asking the question, okay, um, let, 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 the, let the thing run. What does it look like 20 years from now? What's it going to take to maintain this sort of um, uh, this sort of industry or this sort of uh, popularity or whatever 20 years from now? How many more people are we going to need out there doing this same thing so that we can continue to sell stuff? And there's a lot of tension between our ethics and our you know, capital society and how we, we want to make it well, want to make a good living and whatnot. But, man, to not look down the road a little bit and, and maybe pull back, I think, is really short-sighted. And I think we're definitely not doing enough. And it doesn't really help when hunters are afraid to have a conversation like you're having on these podcasts. Um, because why would you be afraid ever to try to defend an idea, right? If you can't defend your idea, maybe that's a good sign you should change it, you know, your position. Um, I don't know. Maybe people are just afraid. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I sure as hell like the debate stuff. I like, I like this kind of stuff. It's, I, I don't. I really don't think people have people really think about it, to be honest with you. I just really don't think that's the saddest part is I really do not think people even think about that, that there's anything bad, that there's anything, anything bad about leasing. There's nothing bad about any of it. And yeah. That's, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. I'd say that 10 years ago, I wasn't something that somebody that thought about it. So Yeah. I mean, three or four years ago, I never even thought about that. Heck no. Uh, all right. We got to move on a little bit because I want, there's some things that Chase, that it'd be a shame if we didn't get to about your story. So you were a whitetail hunting guide for a time. You worked for an outfitter. I worked for an outfitter, yeah. 
Yeah, and so you you had some pretty high profile clients that had hunting TV shows. Yeah, they had hunting TV shows. Me and my best friend, um, we were in college and we were work. It was actually his uncle that was the outfitter, and we were doing. We thought we were living the dream or whatever, you know. But um, we were taking these guys. And it was kind of funny because you look at the, you watch these guys on TV and you think they're the greatest hunters of all time. You think they're the greatest shots of all time. And then once you throw them in a tree stand and they're out of arrows two hours later and you have to go and pick up all their arrows for them and take them back up the tree because they've basically shot all their arrows out of their quiver. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, like, it's not a good sign when they roll, when they drive up and you're like, Hey man, do you need to shoot your bow? And they're like, no, we don't practice. We don't practice with our bows. It's like, all right. What? They yeah. said that. Yes. Multiple people or just one group. This was one group, and that guy, I think he missed three or four different bucks, and the one he ended up hitting, he, like, spined him. He looked like a pincushion after he got done with him. But, um, but yeah, these guys, this other group of guys we got pretty close with, they, we thought we were going to live the dream and film our own hunts and do all that that's what we wanted to do real bad they were alluding they were they were suggesting that if you generate some good content that they might they're like man if we can come (coughs) excuse me if we can come down here for three or four days and kill two bucks what can you guys do with a camera all year we're like we can kill some deer you know on film thinking that maybe you had the what it took to have a show yeah and we were basically gonna just go on with them um they're gonna use our content or whatever we just wanted a foot in the door you know we wanted to live the dream we wanted to hunt every day and do all that you know there's a nostalgia to it if you think about it going out and hunting every day and getting paid for it mm, but yeah until you try hunting on yeah and realize that <laughs> it's it, a it, ass. it, it like, doesn't it's not hunting yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think we, we ended up killing two deer on camera. I think if without a camera, we would have, I think we lost opportunities at three or four different bucks just for having a freaking camera up there with us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But so we get this footage and we send it to them. They act like they didn't get it. And then the next year they come back and we're like, hey man, here's oh, this. They never responded? Yeah, they never even responded to us. And then we show it to them. We're like, here it is, you know, why don't you watch this stuff? And they're like, no, you they, they they were the ones that wanted they said take take some yeah. footage and provide it to us. But at the end of the day, I figured out what they were doing, but they um then they started making excuses well you're wearing the wrong camo in this one and then um 
well, Tyson was shooting the wrong bow in this video, so um, that one wouldn't work either. Well, what they were doing, they were just keeping us on the hook to just let them keep coming back and okay. hunt with what okay. the deal was. And that's essentially what it all was. And it's just dirty, yeah. you know. They one just thing played. that comes to mind is so these they 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 cultivate an image of themselves because they as being these great hunters because they can just turn the camera on and off at will. Yeah, and then yeah. but then the other thing that you don't see on the hunting te- that that is omitted is that how much of when they're leaning over their dead deer that they just shot, how much of that is a consequence of what you did? That's the seeing. That's the funniest part about it. It's, it's like ninety like, percent or more. Well, that's the funny thing is that we we'd watch their show when they produce it on TV, and they were supposed to be giving us all the accolades to get us more clients to come hunt. Well, then they started, they'd act, they'd make this big story about how they've been scouting these deer and have hung the stands and had them patterned. And then they, you know, and then at the very end of the show, they put down in the little, in the very far corner, they'd have our outfit or scroll across for five seconds. Then that'd be the end of it. And it's just like, man, um, I hung that stand. I had, 3,000 pictures of that deer. I watched him in velvet on an alfalfa field all summer. It's like, it was just after that, I started to, then I could watch a TV show and tell you exactly what went on. (laughs) You could guess the backstory, even though you weren't privy to it. Real quick. And it was also, (laughs) see, we we bait in our state. But these guys didn't want to have any corn in the video, so we were hiding the corn underneath tree branches and stuff, so they wouldn't have any corn in the shot because it's less, um, you know, they aren't a big hunter if they shoot a deer over corn. So they'd make us hide all the corn so they wouldn't have any corn in the in the video. Yeah. And then these are the sorts of people that get to be the standard bearers of hunting. These, yeah. Oh, they're yeah. The, they're the ones that get to tell us what that to, to have a platform to tell us what we should and shouldn't think. Yeah, and that's the deal. It's just like I told you that in one of my other emails. I told you hunting's the only sport where the professionals aren't really the best. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if any other sport. I mean, you can take any other sport. Basketball, you've got the top the top players in the game are playing professional. Fishing, it's I've there's probably some mist out there that could be in the made, you know, be professional fishermen. But you got football and baseball and all of that. All the professionals are the best. Right. Honey, I, I would I would guess what? that it's the same with fishing as hunting, where that's not the case. I can think of two other pastimes where that's not the case, but go ahead. Yeah. The, well, but, if you want me to tell you, I'll tell you. Climbing and surfing. Surfing. 
They're both activities where some people really do it because they enjoy it and and are and they they like gaining a level of proficiency at it and they're passionate about it but they do it quietly and there there are other people that are climbing influencers and surfing influencers i suspect that you know, i don't know maybe the very the best of the best are maybe it's a little different with hunting there's just no question about it that the best people i just know from personal experience having hunted with hunting influencers having having hunted with people that don't seek notoriety from hunting in any way shape or form the best hunters i know hands down are guys that you will never see on a hunting tv <laughs> show never yeah. see on hunting social media there are four guys in my little town of 10,000 people that i know that are unbelievable hunters and there's they, 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 there's there's second to no one you know and and i know this because i hunt some of the same areas as them and i come <laughs> home empty-handed and they come home with the big in every year yeah yeah so yeah it's, it, you're right it is unique in that way uh, but these people they don't want that they don't want the notoriety that's not why they do it no, 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 but it's just so unique in that. But the TV hunters want you to think that they're the best. They beat their chest and tell you how great they are. And that's the most irritating part about it all. Yeah. You also, so for a time, it sounded like just reading between the time, the, the lines a little bit chase that you you were kind of thinking of going down that path yeah and then after i realized that was not a good thing and then i got into the target shooting i didn't i didn't know really what my path was going to be on that um target archery 3d i did some spot shooting but um what spot shooting uh, basically a Vegas style to where oh, you're shooting at paper uh, targets. Shoot, yeah. Yep. You're shooting three arrows at a three bullseyes is what you're doing at 20 yards. But, um, I, I shot 3d for two or three years. And by the end of it, I was getting pretty fed up with the, it's just, a, it was no different than guiding those jackasses on TV. I mean, you'd shoot, you'd beat all these guys with sponsor shirts on. And then after it, they just like, they're like, I can't believe you're shooting that bow. How would you you got a target sight on there. That's a target bow. or Even though you just whooped their ass, they're trying to yeah. critique oh, your yeah. equipment. Yeah. And I never, I mean, I'd be wearing a whatever, a baseball hoodie and a baseball cap, and they'd have their sponsor Matthews shooter shirt on. And that's very, the 
target archery deal is so clickish. It's just, it's kind of unreal. It's a, it's, it's no different than anything else. It's just the perception of the hunting world is everyone's included and it's nice for everybody and everyone's nice to everyone else and everyone's welcome. But then you take a guy out in from the country and you throw him into one of those shoots and he whips everyone's ass. Then all of a sudden they aren't friendly anymore. It's not fun. <laughs> it's just... Oh man. Maybe maybe we should have a a hunt quietly sponsored target shooter. You could be that guy. I don't know what yeah. we'd get, I don't know what I'd give you. Whatever I gave you, I'd pay for out of my own pocket because I don't, I'm not generating any revenue. But if you want to get back in the game, and I would insist that you shoot some. I would want you to shoot some 1986 compound bow with. Something that sounds like a banjo when you shoot it. Yeah, yeah. pulley's about as big around as the a pop can, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it's not no. awesome what your experience was, but it's just awesome that yeah. just to hear you talk about that. And I don't know, it's just the it's such a weird deal. To have that be a part of this thing that is so started out so pure for so many of us. Yeah. And you it's know? so it's just in it's ingrained in that part of it too. I mean, it's no different. It's just I don't know. It's kind of sad in a way. Cause I did like doing it, but I think it was that last shoot I went to. I, it was just, I was trying to talk to some people. They're telling deer stories. I'm like, they're like, do you deer hunt? And how long, how many years ago was this? It would have been five years ago, five or six years ago. Okay. It was before the last shoot was before I got married. So it was, it would have been six years ago. And, um, Yeah trying to tell deer stories and these guys are showing these i mean i don't care if anyone shoots a little deer i don't give a shit but then they're like you ever shot a deer before yeah i've shot some deer you know i show them a picture of a 170 inch deer and they're like oh well you must have a really good spot i want to have your lease it's like i don't have a lease man i don't Mm -hmm. lease shit Mm -hmm. you know yeah and it was just kind of the, it just put a bad taste and it didn't help. I didn't have any of my buddies there with me. I went on, went solo to that shoot. And after that, I was like, man, I don't really want to be around these jackasses anymore. Well, Why? Yeah. It just, it sounds very like, aggressive and competitive and, and showboaty and, and just everything that had nothing to do with brought me. I, I like, I feel like a lot of us, like you and, and and Baxter, I feel like all three of us probably started out in this hunting game. There's just nothing that was like that. It was all about the thrill of provide, you know, going out and getting something by your wits, providing for yourself a little bit, 
uh, interacting with nature, getting some grub, and and then and then to find out that that, that that's what hunting is to us. But that there's this whole whole other dimension to hunting that's everything you just described, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, that's it's funny you say that. I was thinking about that the other day um, about like how things like when I got into hunting as a kid, you know, when I was I don't know how old I was when I started bow hunting, maybe. 14 or 15 or something like that and i was trying i was trying to think back like what i what i was thinking about about why i got into hunting and I, you know there were a couple magazines out you know like uh, bow hunter magazine or whatever or you know i remember seeing like the fred bear videos and stuff like that but you know i can't ever say i remembered thinking you know i'm reading this story about a you know whitetail or mule deer or whatever hunt i never it never crossed my mind as a kid. At least I don't, I don't remember myself thinking of it this way, that that story served any other purpose than to just entertain me for a little bit and maybe inspire me to go do it for myself. Never thinking. In other words, I never looked at that as something I want to do that so I can be the guy in the magazine and maybe I can parlay that into a sponsorship and stuff. And I think it seems that nowadays that's kind of the direct line of thinking with a lot of people getting in to a younger guys getting into the hunting game is they don't see it as, as something to model for their own benefit. Right. And so like when I killed my first deer, it was actually my brother and I killed our first deer together. It was kind of a funny thing, but that was like a huge thing for us. And it was like a momentous occasion where we felt successful in doing something that we had longed to do and stuff. And, and, but I never felt like, well, then now what I've got to do is do it again so that I can send a picture into a magazine or, or, or court some sort of relationship with something. But you, you hear that. I, I see that today and like people randomly posting pictures or not even just hunting stuff, but they will tag the people that they want to have a relationship with. And I'm like, man, that really changes the purpose of why you step foot in the woods in the first place. Yeah. And I don't know what changed between when you were a kid and now. Yeah. Something did. Cause you yeah, on YouTube. And find a bunch of videos about how to find a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. It's just the it's just the uber monetization of it, or the hyper monetization of it. Rather, it's and you know, I, the other day I, we I saw this story that um, that Vista Outdoors bought Sims wading stuff, you know, and they had recently I think bought Stone Glacier, I think backpacks, and this it seems like the the entrance of the mega corporation and even with the sponsorship with churning of the, of the meteor brand, it's like, you're talking about millions of dollars from investors that have to be repaid. And, and, and that, and that I think provides an incentive for manufacturers to want kids to be aspirational, to become like them because they'll buy their products. Oh, they, that they makes will, perfect sense. Yeah. They will, they will, they will willingly go, okay, I want to work with, uh, I'm just making this up. I want to, I'd love to be a sponsor for Sim. So I'm going to go spend $900 on waders and then I'm going to go fish my butt off and every, I'm going to have a great picture of me and the Sims logo everywhere I go and just post it, post it, post it, build my cred. And I think in a way that the manufacturers, I mean, they're not kicking that out of bed. No, hell no. It's, it's helping the bottom line and you don't, I hate to just say like, well, everything's about the bottom line, but I don't think you can ignore it. I don't no, think, no, I, especially no. when you're looking at the investment model where a big umbrella company 
grabs up smaller companies, they, they're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart. They're expecting a return on that. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, when, when, when the, um, the product to the umbrella company is the person, you know, viewing on the, uh, on the screen of the, the video so that they can sell them goods. I, I don't think, um, I think that's maybe what changed. And I think via the YouTube and social media and stuff in the last 10 years or so, that's what has ramped it up to a point where it's just this monolith. that's it's just so big. Um, and, but it is, a, it, it is given kids, young hunters, the false notion that, you know, you can do this too. It's, it's just about killing the right deer, wearing the right clothes, and you're going to have a sponsor. Kind of like you're talking about, Chase, you know, with these guys with our television show, just leading you on for their own benefit, you know. And it's kind of like, damn, you feel sucker punched at the end of the day because it's like, really? It was just about you at the end of the day? And, yeah, it was about them. And you, yeah. you just sort of disillusioned the whole thing. I can, I, I can see that assuredly, you know. How do we, how do we, if at all possible, yeah, how do we make that go away? How do we change that? I mean, obviously, uh, venture capitalists getting involved in hunting is not going to end well. Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know how, well, I guess the first part, of, I'm just, my my thing is trying to have a conversation about it, you know. But I just can't hear things like what you guys are saying without just wondering what, how can we turn the tide tide on that stuff? You know, I think a really interesting conversation would be with the manufacturer who responds to or who uses that that influencer model. I think you quoted the numbers like they they get a six time return or something for every dollar they invest or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, take it past the monetary and ask them how they think that model is going to be sustainable. And then also how it is going to positively affect the endeavor that everybody apparently likes to do now. Um, how, how does that model contribute to a healthy, um, healthy access, you know, a healthy environment within the industry? I don't know that they have an answer. They might just pull open a ledger book and say, well, it keeps these people from knocking on our doors asking for the bills. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of these dudes are like deck shoe wearing, cardigan wearing dudes that don't know a damn thing about hunting. Yeah. You know, when a long, a long time ago, the guy – that was brought in the way I understood it was the guy that was brought in to sell initially sell Sportsman's warehouse ended up buying the thing or somehow becoming the CEO. Like it never really hunted. And then, then you all of a sudden started seeing his picture up in all the stores as, as the, you know, the great hunter. And it was oh. really to build the cred of, you know, you know, it's in our blood type of thing. And it really was just, it served the purpose of making the company more, um, attractive and eventually it grew and then that bubble burst, uh, eventually, um, and it, there had some issues, uh, and whatnot, but yeah, you talk about the deck you wearing. That's exactly right. Apparently the guy's selling olive oil now. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's out there chasing those big monster muleys anymore. Like it looked like he was doing with such alacrity in the pictures all across the stores. It's just, it was all fake. I don't know, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know. 
but but I think talking about it is for sure good. Um, I just think asking people like the question too, like how how does this help? I love the question of how does showing dead animals to random anonymous people help anything? Because that's a really hard question to answer. I've, I've yet to find an answer that is convincing to me. No, I don't. No. Um, do you think, do you guys think in a, if we keep doing this, and I say we, because to me, anybody that comes on and is supportive, I think of them as a team player. And, and I say this all the time, but I would give this up to somebody else if they could do it better. Shitbacks, I think you could do it better. I really do. Um, I think both of you could do it better. So if you want it, I'll give you my pass. You don't want me doing it. And and but do you think we keep doing this for a year? We'll know more in a year about whether whether it's possible to I don't know turn the clock back a little bit, maybe 10, 15 years to what it was like 10, 15 years ago. Will we still be a year from now if we keep going? Every bit is clueless as to whether or not these kinds of kinds of conversations are beneficial, or will we have some insight by then? I think I don't know. I, the way this world works, a lot of times something can snowball and take off, or it can be a snowball on a hot car hood and melt away. But it's going to do one or the other. But you got you're going to have to give it time to catch some traction. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. Um, oh, go ahead. I I think there's there's a ton of people. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a ton of people that agree with you a whole lot. And there's a, I'd say well over, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a ton of people that would at least think about it. And you're hitting home on some of your points to them. Like there is a ton of them. And I just, I just don't think people know about it or have heard you talk. I mean, you're making people think. I mean, that Meteor podcast tells you all you need to know when everyone started crying and bawling on there, whenever you acted like you were insulting their children or something on there, you know? You're hurting. I'm glad that people aren't listening. A lot of people aren't listening to my podcast yet because I'm still learning how to do this. (laughs) And that's, I'm not even joking. I'm trying to, I'm not going to get any better at it without doing it, but if, people listen to it a lot of people listen to it when i'm still shaky then yeah but that's the big question to me is i i I sense that there's a lot of frustration yeah i'm 28 episodes in or something like that i sense that there's a lot of frustration in the hunting community about the things we're talking about and that was the bet going in is that there that's what made me do motivated to do this is that I felt like there was and then it was just a matter of harnessing it and I, I'm still open to the notion that that's correct that that that, that that that's true you know what what does your email inbox look like week over week 
three to four emails a week from people I've never heard from before. Pretty steady. I mean, yeah. it, I, I think, I think Chaser, I think a lot of people are thinking this stuff. I think also that a lot of people, like I said, it's, you're going to know the success because they're just not going to be there anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But I agree with, I agree with the snowball thing. And I look at it as in terms of like economics, like boom and bust cycles, right? Hunting, like I was looking at, I was trying to find the, the numbers because I, I, I saw them somewhere and I could not, I could not put my finger on it. I was looking at when Idaho non-resident deer tags sold out. And this year, I think they sold out the fastest ever. And if you, and it's like, if you go back in time, it took, back in the day, it took months and months to sell them out. But I think where I'm going with this is that there that things typically run in a boom and bust cycle, just like our economy now. And I think this whole thing, because hunting has become a thing, the a certain a, being a, a hunter of a certain aesthetic has become a thing. It's kind of like the Instagram face. There is a there is an Instagram aesthetic to the hunter. You've got your bino pack. You've got your $700 pack, you've got your chassis built rifle and all this other stuff, it will end at a point. I think, I think what you, what's got to happen is there, there's got to be something that replaces that, right? So there's that old saying that you don't replace, you don't get rid of something without replacing it with something of value first. And I think the funny thing about what you're doing, Matt, is that, is that it is giving slowly people something to replace the Instagram hunting market with. And that is the traditional reason why you always hunt it. Because a lot of people, I think a lot of people who got into it in the fervor of the Instagram world, that's normal to them. They have no idea that there was this other thing where people just didn't care. And when you talked about hunting, it was face to face or you called them on the phone or it was very private, you know, and you did it for these different reasons. They got into it because, well, that sounds exciting, but that will end. You know what? People will grow up, hopefully, and they'll see that that what they're doing is they're doing it for the wrong reasons or just life situation. They end up in college and all of a sudden they can't hunt anymore, but they need to return back to something to replace that. And if they were if you replace it with something that is based in something solid and, and lasting and sustainable, like, you know, horde hind, uh, hide horns, you know, meat, whatever, you hope that 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 aesthetic is being built underneath of what it is now. And then when that, when, when the monetization over monetization of hunting starts to collapse, people fall back into that. And I think that's going to happen at some level. And at some time when it happens, I don't know, but I don't, I don't see anything that has always gone up forever. Mm -hmm. And I see this thing equally. I, I see people eventually getting tired of the BS of, Oh, I see you're the Instagram hunter guy. And, oh, you're the Instagram hunter guy that just had a lawsuit. And, 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 and you start seeing the, 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 the flakes peel off of these people and their true nature exposed. And you realize that the whole thing was a sham. And I think it's just going to not set well with people. Um, and I just, I, I think what you're building or, or helpfully building is, is just, which is oddly enough, you're just wanting people to go back to their original, where things started from is, Okay, we can still hunt and do these things that we really enjoy. And we don't have to have these add-ons, and it's just as enjoyable or more enjoyable. 
But I think getting the word out and talking about these things and telling people that it's okay not to want to be an Instagram hunter, but still be a hard hunter. That's actually more valuable than, um, than any adulation you would get online. It's just going to take a while. I, I don't know. Um, hopefully the mentorship of older hunters to younger hunters will, will encourage that behavior, the more positive behavior. Um, but I think these conversations are great um, for giving something to, for people to sort of fall back on um, when the bubble bursts because it has to burst at some point. Nothing, nothing, nothing goes on forever. You know, and uh, how it is when it is. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, we're at two hours. Baxter, that, that was a really uh, cool set of uh, ideas that you just put forth. You're right; it is true that I mean we're not wearing parachute pants anymore. Uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> So yeah. we're at two hours. Chase, do you have anything you want to add in closing? I think this has been a wonderful discussion. I, I say this once in a while, but I just appreciate like, you. Me. It was nice to meet you, Baxter. Yeah, good meeting you, Chase. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so good to see both of your faces for the first time and have this conversation. I, I if these kind of conversations don't move the needle, then I really don't have anything to offer because I can't imagine doing a better job. A group of people doing a better job at expressing their concerns as we have here tonight so this is the hunt quietly podcast i'm matt ranella 